Well, you're saying to this day, we think this opportunity to come before you and study the word, we ask for guidance on this as we look at this, this chapter we're going to look at today about forgiveness and the sanctity standard then. Psalm 51 is what we're going to do today. Uh, I kind of lost my week because all the previous things I will be prepared to be back in the song. Psalm 51 is a, after he can, after Nathan, the prophet, uh, the the one that he's talking about in the story can get conviction on him. So we're going to read the chapter and then we'll kind of work our way through it a little bit. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly with your, from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shaken in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden place shall make me to know with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be white as snow. Make me in gladness that my bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors in the way, your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O Lord, you, God, of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you desire not sacrifice, else I will give it. You like not in burnt offerings the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do in your good pleasure unto Zion, build you the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall you be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, the burnt offering and the whole burnt offering, then shall you be offered upon your altar. You know the story that he had, he, he, was, he wasn't supposed to be. Uh, the, the chapter that talks about David and Bathsheba starts with the phrase, in the springtime when the kings go to war, David didn't go to war. He, was on, he, was, he stayed in Jerusalem behind while his army went out to do battle. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Saw some, he saw a woman that he lusted after, even though she was another man's wife. As a matter of fact, one of his able soldiers, an officer in his army, his officer, or at least giving command so that others would kill him. Then uh, him and took the life of the child that David overall. David did not lose his life because he had committed. He technically should have died. He committed two capital offenses. He had murdered somebody and he committed adultery, which under Jewish law, well, those are capital offenses. Two different cases in God gave him David's prayer asking for forgiveness. And I want to just bring out a couple points as we look at this. David starts out with, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, and to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. This is something we all need to understand. God's willing to forgive us, greatly desiring to forgive us, and he blots out transgressions because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we as people sometimes have a hard time understanding God doesn't remember our sin when he, once he forgives it. He's blotted it out. He's covered it by the blood. He is 
forgotten it. And David is exp expounding on this. Blot it out. Don't remember it, because if God remembered it, then he might, might decide, okay, David, you, you, deserve you, you deserve to die. Now I'm going to kill you. And David's reminding him, blot it out. And this is something we as Christians must really grab hold of. God removes our sin. And another one of the Psalms says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, or unmeet, they don't reach together. He says they're eternity apart as far as the east is the west. And God has a place where he just says, I don't, I choose to put it here and not remember. Does God remember? Yes. Uh, we talk about forgiving and forgetting. Do we remember? In reality, yes. Our brain stores everything we've ever done, everything we've said, everything we've read. Our brain stores it. How do I forget it? I quit bringing it back to the surface. <laughs> All right. And we, we know that, that we can do that. You ask most people, what did you eat last Friday? Unless it was a special night out or something, they probably don't remember what they had for dinner. Or what did you have last Tuesday for dinner? Unless it was something special, you go, I don't know. Why? Because you don't, it wasn't important enough for you to keep re rehearsing it and remembering it. So if we want to forget something that someone has done, quit thinking about it. It's pretty simple, you know, in one sense. But when you're hurt and you're feeling bad, you keep rehearsing how bad we felt and how bad we got hurt. God doesn't do that with us, thankfully. We don't want all that to be rehearsed from his memory. And then he says, David says in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. So David's saying, God, I admit. To really be forgiven by God means that we admit that we have done something wrong. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is just, uh, faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And confess in the Hebrew means to say the same thing as. A lot of people, when they say they're confessing their sin, it's like, you know, well, I made a mistake when I did something. Well, no, that's not what God calls it. God doesn't call it a mistake. He doesn't call it a misstep. He calls it sin. And we need to really be able to say, God, I have sinned. All of our 12-step programs have that same mentality. You cannot get over something until you admit that you have a problem in the first place. Whether it's alcohol or sex or stealing or drugs or anything, it doesn't matter what that sin is. Until you admit that, hey, I've got a problem, you can never get over it and you'll never get the strength of God to get over it because God's going to say, what do you want me to help you with? And David here is saying, God, I, I have sinned. Now, he doesn't name the exact sin here, but he knew what it was, and there's other places where it tells us he confessed his sin. And it's important to speak to God at the very least. As we talked to the men this morning, also sometimes it's great to have somebody that you can talk to that's a personal friend that you can just say, this is a problem area in my life. I need somebody to pray for me. The 12-step programs were all built upon the foundation of how the Bible talks about overcoming sin. In years since, they've kind of thrown God and the Bible out of the process. It means they're not as effective as they used to be because they've left out the most important part of their process. They've kept the process and thrown God out. And we as human beings like doing that oftentimes. We, throw, we keep the processes that keep things moving and say, God, um, you just stay over there. We, we, we're, we're working. 
and I've said, shared this before, that it's been said that in, in the first century church, if God was, and the Holy Spirit was removed from the church, only about 10% of what they did would continue. And the sad thing is, in our, most of our modern churches, if God was removed, the church would go on barely noticing that he was removed because we've got processes and procedures for everything. And we need to be careful about that. It's natural, it's human, it's human nature to get into patterns and do things in a set order. But we need to make sure the Holy Spirit is there. And David's saying, God, I sinned against you. I admit that I have sinned, transgressed. Then he says something interesting, and it's, it's really hard to, to gather this at first thing in verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, what is he confessing? Adultery and murder. Those are two pretty big sins to be, be committing and saying, against you and you only have I sinned. But ultimately, all sin is against God. All right? We may hurt somebody else, but the sin is against God. Now, David hurt Bathsheba. He hurt a, he hurt a, a family. He murdered a man, which then hurt his, hurt his family and his, everything. I mean, he did a lot of damage to other people. But the sin is against God. And we have that same thought process in our judicial system. Most crimes are not you against somebody. It's you, the state that you're living in, suing, you know, charging you. Your crime was against the state. They've taken God's place in, in, their, in their thinking, which is what uh, Samuel told to the people when they said, we want a king. He basically told them the king will take God's place. He will take a tenth of everything you have. If, if only the government only took a 10%. Uh, you know, they would take the best of the land, the best of the people, the best stuff. And he says, they're, they're, the government will become a god to you. And David's just saying, I, I, my sin is against God. And he's looking at this, and it's you know, interesting. He says, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And a lot of people will take that verse and say, well, his mother must have been an adulteress or, or, or a prostitute. That's not what he's saying there. He said, I was born a sinner. Same things Paul tells us in Romans, you know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are born as sinners. It's not, we don't sin because we, you know, we don't become a sinner because we've sinned. We sin because we are sinners. And anybody who's ever had a little child in their, in their uh, life knows that children naturally do what's wrong. You tell them no on something and you'll watch them looking at you. Even as a nine-month-old, just barely crawling, they'll look at you as they're getting ready to touch something they were told not to touch and see if you're looking. And if people want to be convinced that they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're looking around, seeing if mom or dad's going to catch them, and they reach out to touch. We are born sinners, and we will sin. And that's what David's saying here. He goes, God... He's not using it as an excuse. Be careful, because he's not saying, well, God, I only, I only did this because I was sinning. He goes, behold, I, that's who I am. Remember, remember in your judgment, this is who I am. And that's something we do take in consideration when we look at somebody and, you know, even in our day, if somebody is raised without parents and without discipline, I don't expect as much from them as I would from somebody who's been raised correctly. Not that I like it any better. I don't like their disobedience. I don't like their their attitude, but I also understand that they don't know any better and that's going to change the way I deal with them. 
And I've told many, especially pastors, to have a habit of doing this, and parents do this. Sometimes we don't tell people what we expect, and then we get mad when they don't do it the way we wanted it done. And my first question, whenever I hear, because I've been sitting in different, you know, with different pastors and staff meetings over the years, and pastor will say, well, this isn't being done right. I go, have you told them? Have you trained them the way you would like it done? Well, no, and then, then quit from complaining about what they are not doing to your, spe- your satisfaction. Now, if you're not going to tell them and train them what you want done, don't complain when they don't do it your way. I learned that as a manager. If I don't tell people exactly the way I want it done, then I can't complain when they don't do it <laughs> the way I wanted it done. They're going to think they did a fine job. Uh, this happens all the time. It might even be something as simple as cleaning. It's, it's an amazing thing to me. I had one pastor that ran the church, and he was so picky about a, any speck on the floor that drove him nuts. One of my things is burnt-out light bulbs, and I looked at him one day, and I'm going, how can you see the specks on the floor when half the light bulbs are out? Uh, but I, you know, I understood that. You know, we saw things differently. You know, one speck of dirt on the floor drove him nuts. My, mine was, I can't see the dirt anyway because there's not enough light. Uh, but you know, we look at this and say, what is it that's important? And each person's gonna have something that's some, uh, somewhat different. They see things different, which is why we have a body of believers, that each person's going to have a different impact on what they, what they see, what they think is important, how they wanna minister, God calls them to do their work, and they, they will minister the way God calls them to minister. And over the years, I've learned to have a little bit of freedom there. You know, what, if you get the job done, I don't care how you do it so much. And I've had that come across sometimes, because I've had people, you have to do it exactly the way they want it to do. It doesn't matter what your results are. It doesn't matter if your results were better than their results would have been. If you didn't do it the way they wanted it done, it wasn't enough. And we want to be very careful about that kind of thing. It says, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you make me to know wisdom. And I love this. God says he desires truth, and then he gives us, David says, he gives us that truth. And I've said this over and over again. I love God's plan. God's plan is what human beings really like. Somebody else does the work, and they get the reward. And that really is God's plan. Let me do the work for you. And then I'm going to reward you for letting me do the work. Why? Because most people won't let him work. And it's wonderful. God says, I want you to win souls. How do you do it? We surrender our life to him. He speaks through us. Souls get won. And he says, okay, here's your reward for allowing me to save the souls through you. And I love this. I love God's idea. He says, do you just surrender? You be clothed in Christ and let me do the work. And then he rewards us. And his rewards are for eternity, not just here on life, but for eternity. He gives us the rewards for letting him work through us, which is one of the reasons we can't ever be sure what has been done for the kingdom. You know, it's amazing sometimes when you, you see somebody years later and they talk about what, how you changed their life and you didn't even know that they had ever listened to you. Yeah, I had some Sunday school students who have done that over the years. You know, met them as adults and go, you said this, and I don't remember saying it. You know, it was one of the many lessons that I had taught during their time that they were in Sunday school, but they caught it and they held on to it. And we all have things that were probably said to us in a message or a Sunday school or a, or a, 
or some teaching that really struck us and that we've held on to for years. And if you were to talk to the person that told you, they probably would never even realize that that, or even remember saying it. Because a lot of times things that people pick up on as profound to the person who's speaking it was just a simple statement. And uh, so just be aware, when we get to heaven, you may have touched more people than you could ever imagine when you get there and God says, you know, you did this, you did this. And I can also picture in heaven people coming up and say, I just want to say thank you for what you, what you did when I was five years old and you don't even remember who the person is. Or, or it might even be as simple, you gave to the Lottie Moon offering and your money went to this missionary and now I'm, I'm here in heaven because of that money you gave. We, we don't know all of what's going to happen when we get to heaven and you know and it might be as simple of we're praying for revival in this church every person who's praying will be part of the reward for anybody who gets saved from that revival that God is going to work in this town because of our prayers because it is him that's touching out and him that does the work and then he knows everybody who's had a part on it and he's going to say, there we go, that person prayed, that person prayed, that person prayed, here's their reward. And I love it. David's going, God, you do this work for me. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. One of the greatest testimonies, I was pretty young when I was saved, so I don't really recognize it quite as much as many people who got saved older. But they, many people have talked about how pure and clean they feel when they've accepted Jesus Christ and made him their savior. And the weight of their sin has been lifted off of their back. In Pilgrim's Progress, the, the character called Christian who goes through the pro process, he's weighted down because he feels the burden of his sin and then he comes to the cross and the, and the sin is taken off of his back and he goes, oh, I can stand up straight now. And I've heard that similar kind of comment from lots of people who've never read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, that I feel so free. I'm not burdened by my sin. Why does God burden us with our sins? So that we know that we need him. You know, when we witness to people, the first thing we have to do to get them, get them saved is to get them lost. Now, they're already lost. They just don't know they're lost. Uh, I've had times when I was driving in some unfamiliar place and got to where I didn't know where I was. I usually know how to get back to where I came from. But I didn't know that I was lost until I looked around and found out I don't know where I'm at. And there was a, somebody I was listening to on the radio this week, they were talking about witnesses. Somebody goes, well, that's like beagles. He goes, beagles have a great sense of smell. And when they're following a trail, they keep their heads down. And the same thing probably with bloodhounds. They keep their heads down. They follow the scent. And when they get to where the scent ends, they look up. And if they've gone far enough, have no clue where they're at. And that's kind of the way we are before we know God. We're following whatever it is we want to follow. Whatever sin we're following, whatever activities in our life we're following, and all of a sudden we get to a place and we look up and we go, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know how to get back to God. I don't know how to get back to where I want to be. And this is what David is saying, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And this is what God does when he comes into our life. He washes us takes out the stony heart from, from Jeremiah and puts a heart of flesh. The hard heart that doesn't care about God at all and he puts a flesh heart in there. And that is when you start to actually feel tenderness, feel compassion, feel love for others because God has removed the hardness. And most non-Christians 
get pretty hard-hearted. A lot of Christians could get hard-hearted. And it's something we have to be careful of because that hard heart can make us not want to help others, not want to care about others. Uh, we don't want to be so soft that we foolishly do things, but we also want to make sure we have a soft and tender heart that listens to God and cares that people are going to go to hell. Because without Christ, they will go to hell. And listen to a comedian one time. He was a non-Christian comedian, but he was on a kick about going against Christians. And he going, how much do these Christians not care about people and not love them? They, they tell us that they're going to go to hell, but not, so many Christians don't go out and tell others how to not go to hell. And he was making a point that most Christians don't believe in hell. You know, because if they really did, they'd be sharing God with everybody they come, come with because the only way to not go to hell is through Jesus Christ. And I'm guilty as everybody else on that, not telling every single person all the time. Uh, matter of fact, most people would get tired of us if we did. <laughs> but do we do it, you know, especially the people we're supposed to love like our family and our close friends? Are we sharing the gospel with them? Have we at least done it once in our lifetime? Uh, so that they will not end up eternally separated from God. At my daughter's wedding, they asked me to do a short uh, gospel message. And I actually opened it up. I see all these gifts over here that you brought for the couple. They're going to love it. They're going to appreciate it. But the greatest gift you can give them is that if you don't know Jesus Christ, is to become a Christian and spend eternity with them. You know, so there was an opportunity. In that case, there was a lot of people that didn't know, didn't know God. And didn't, didn't hit them real hard. Didn't make it long. I talked about being a sinner and needing God and how, how to become a sinner and to uh, become a Christian. You know, we just spent just a few minutes telling them that all people are lost, all people have sinned and the destination is hell, but the gift of God is Jesus Christ and that we have to admit we're a sinner and ask Jesus Christ into our heart. You know, do we do this enough? Probably not. No matter how good you are. If you're, if you're an evangelist, you're still going to think, no, I haven't done it enough. Because they're always going to think about the one person they didn't talk to or the five people they didn't talk to or the mood they were in and didn't talk to anybody that <laughs> at some event. We're all guilty of not talking about Christ enough. And here David's saying, you're going to clean me and I, and I need you. And then I love verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We confess to God. He cleanses us and he renews our spirit. That is the greatest news we have. We go and we say, God, I have, I have really blown it. You know, and he accepts us. The prodigal son is a great example of this. Father, basically the story goes, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. Goes and blows his money. Then decides that he's in so far down that he says, I'll go back home and I'll just tell my dad I want to be a, be a servant because he treats his servants pretty good, so I'll, I'll be okay. Comes back and says, Father, I have sinned against you. I no longer deserve to be. And he gets stopped with the father saying, welcome back home. Puts a new, new robe on him, puts the ring on him, celebrates his, his return. God is that kind of father is the point of the story. We don't deserve it. You know, we deserve to be made a servant. If even that, you know, we deserve to not even be accepted at all. But if we are accepted, we really deserve only to be the servant, the slave. And he makes us his children and keeps us his children. 
because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I love what God does in his mercy. And it really bothers me when I come across so many of these Christians that have this you know, fear of God that we're supposed to have. We are supposed to have a fear, healthy fear of God, respect and fear of God. Okay, because he's going to punish evil. He's going to, he has righteous. But I know some people that are so afraid of God that they won't even step out and do anything for God because what if I make a mistake? He's going he's to be mad at me and crush me. You know, I, talk about, I talk about it this way. You know, some people have the picture of God playing whack-a-mole. If we stick our head out of the, out of the hole, he's there, to, he's there to smack us. That is not what God is doing. When we pop out our head, he's probably going to grab us out of that hole and give us a hug and say, okay, thank you. Let, let's get working. And yet so many Christians are expecting him to smash them over the top of the head and drive them back into the hole. They don't understand a God of mercy and grace. They only understand a God of anger and bitterness. And man, when you understand God of mercy and grace. Now we can go too far the other way and, rec and forget that God is a God of justice he expects us to walk in his ways. All through the scriptures, he says, walk in my ways and you're going to get blessed. Walk in my ways and you're going to get blessed. You're being punished because you didn't walk in my ways. He expects us to walk in his ways to the best that we can. But he's also so kind and, and just that he knows that we won't. He knows we won't. And that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. We talk about that all the time. Always consequences for sin. Always. But that doesn't mean God's going to say, well, you sinned one too many times off, off, out, out of the house you go. You're not, you're not going to be in heaven anymore because you sinned one, one time too many. That's not his attitude. He is so gracious. You know, if we could just learn to do probably half as, be, half as gracious as God toward people, you know, kind of impossible. I just made a statement that's impossible. God is infinitely gracious, so we can't even be half. But even a small portion like God how would we treat one another if we would just learn to be gracious with one another? You know, the disciples said to Jesus, you know, how many times should we forgive our, give our brother? And they very graciously went to seven times, which was more than twice of what the Pharisees said to forgive, forgive them. No, and Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, which was an idiom for just keep forgiving them. You know, it wasn't, okay, I've, for, I've forgiven you 489 times. Don't do it again. Jesus wasn't saying that. He was just saying, you just keep forgiving them. That's hard. We as humans have a hard time. If somebody sins against us 490 times, we're not going to be very generous to them. You know, we're not even going to get that far usually. You know, we're going to be upset that they keep doing the same thing wrong. But, you know, we also need to look at God. I am so happy God doesn't crush me when I keep making the same mistakes. Because there's areas in my life where I keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. And I deserve to be crushed. And yet God says, okay, you've asked for forgiveness. You're okay. You're okay. And the good news, God forgives us even if we don't ask forgiveness because it's under the blood of Christ. And I've heard people, well, I'll forgive them when they ask for forgiveness. And I tell people, just forgive them. If they never ask for forgiveness, don't worry about it. That's between them and God. And I like to put things in God's hands. Uh, I've had people, well, what if they take stuff? Well, if they, especially if they take it from the church, they're taking it from God, and that's not a good thing to be doing. If you're taking things from God, you're, you're going to be in trouble. God will cause 
punishment. And if you're stealing from others, God's going to punish. There's consequences always. Uh, so I don't really worry about a lot of things because I say, God, it's yours. Now, I fail. I fail. You know, there's times when I get upset and frustrated and everything. But overall, I go, God, it's yours. I want you to be the one that needs to keep this. Defend, defend me, God. David said that in other places. Defend me. Uh, then I love this. He, he says, create me. And it says, cast me not away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I will tell you, as a Christian, with God in our life, and we're in our, he's not going to take his Holy Spirit away from us. We may lose the joy of the Spirit. We may lose the joy of our salvation because we're out of fellowship. But he still says, you're my child. We may try to pull our hand out of, hand out of his hand and walk away. But just as any good parent, we're keeping an eye on that wayward child and not letting them go too far. And if you're in a really dangerous place, you hold on to their hand with, with all your might. You know, if you're walking next to the road and that kid's trying to pull out of your hand, as a little, especially as a little one, you don't let that kid just take off and go running in the street. You hold on very tightly. Other times you gave him a little bit of freedom. And let him, okay, you don't want to be with me? Give you a little bit of freedom, but my eye is still on you. I'm still watching you very carefully. And God is always watching us. Always. Even if we pull our hand out of his hand and, and jump into the Father's hand underneath it and not realize that we're in his hands. And that's the wonderful thing about Christian, Christianity. We may be able to pull our hand out of the Holy Spirit's hands or, the, or Jesus' hand, but we just fall right into God's hands because he says, my hands are underneath. And we, you know, and we fall into his hands. We can't get away from him. And God's got big hands. Once he picks you up, you're not getting out of his hands. Uh, and it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your spirit. I love this. God give me the joy restore your joy not that we live in the emotions of the joy I mean the emotions are great you go to you go to some big event and you're all happy and you're on a spiritual high you know it's called being on the mountaintop okay God I'm, you and I are, we, we've got this but as soon as you leave that big that event whatever it might be and you go back to the real world the, the feelings don't always last that long you know, God, I've got this. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be your superstar now because I'm all hyped up. And as soon as you get down off that big event, it's like, oh, this is a mess, God. I, I have to go to work. I had to, go, I had to take care of the kids. I had, to, I had to go to shopping. God, I ran out of time to do it, all the things I wanted to do for you. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in that stuff. And, God, and David's saying, restore. Restore the joy of my salvation and in verse 13 is one of my favorite things. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. If we're not really experiencing joy in God, excited relationship with God, we're not going to share it with others. And this is important. People talk about what excites them. You know, there are some people you know that they love football or baseball or or NASCAR, uh, golf, tennis, whatever it might be. <laughs> Why, or might even be something like sewing or knitting or crocheting or, or hair design. Why? Because that's what they're talking about. They might be into fashion. What are they talking about? What kind of shoes are you wearing? What, who, who, designed your, who designed your shirt? You know, what kind of hat or purse or wallet are you carrying? And you start talking to these people and they're passionate about what 
is important to them. We as Christians should be passionate about God. How often do we talk about God? Now granted, hopefully you're not talking about God and God only because then nobody will want to talk to you other, other, other than other Christians. But by the same token, how long can you go without talking about God? It shouldn't be days. It shouldn't be weeks. You know, maybe hours. But one thing people recognize when they start talking with me, if I'm not busy doing work or something, at some point I'm going to talk about God because he's what I'm passionate about. The joy of my salvation is what I want to share with people. Now, am I witnessing full, full bore with everybody I meet? No, but I've shared with you guys, I used to love as a manager coming in off the, off the week after a day off and go, you know what God did for me yesterday? And I could see it in their eyes. They'd glaze over and I'll go, oh boy, he's going to be talking about God again. But it was fun just to bring God into the situation. Now, when you do this with other Christians, they ho hopefully will get excited for you. What's really sad is the Christian's eyes glaze over when you talk about what God has done for you. Because that's showing that they're not in the right, right place. And David says, when this happens, I will teach sinners. I will bring people to you, God. And that'll happen because we're just so excited about him. And people, because we are excited, will get excited. And this is the fun thing about being a Christian. We have a relationship with God. And I shared with you at the wedding, I talked to this one young man, and, and I asked him if he had a relationship with God, and he told me, I believe in God. And I go, that's not what I asked you. I go, do you have a relationship with God? Are you, do you know him as your personal God? Not just believe in him. I go, the devils believe in, in God. You know, and I just be able to bring home that point. You know, and this is in our, in our country especially, people go, well, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, my dad and mom were Christians. Or I went to church all my life. Well, none of that makes you a Christian. It's a personal relationship with Christ. And it's very important to have that personal relationship with him and then share it with others. He says, then, he says, deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O Lord. You are my s salvation. And I will sing aloud of your righteousness. Is there joy? When people are joyful, they, 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 they may not be a singer, but they do get that heaviness and that lightness of their, their heart, and they enjoy, you know, doing something. I, I've always loved singing, and there's times when I just, times when I would just break out in a song. I don't care if anybody's listening or not, because I just want to sing it. God is listening. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, O, 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 o the earth. Now, that may mean that if you're really a lousy singer, you might not want to sing in the company of other people, but is there a joyfulness in your heart that just wants to bubble up? Uh, you know, this is something the, that we used to sing when I was growing up. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And you would sing these songs, you know, and, you know, is the joy of the Lord your strength? This is what David's saying. Your joy, now David was a musician. Musicians love to sing or play instruments. That's just the way they are. They love to express themselves in song. Uh, scientists love to do things that are scientific. You know, you, you'll, you'll do, you'll express to God how you want to express them, that joy should come out in something. I love to teach. It's so much, to me, nothing is better than teaching. So I love to teach about God and his love and his grace and his mercy. And David says, God, my joy, I will sing. And there is a benefit in singing. Singing is great. Now, singing, singing can express joy, and we, most people, 
enjoy listening to music even if they can't sing. And most of us have songs that we recognize as certain key aspects of our life. This is the song I got married to. This was the song that was playing when I first saw my, my first true love. This was the song that was playing, you know. And we, we have songs that when you hear them, they bring back memories. Whether good or bad memories is another story sometimes. But they bring back memories. And intricately, the same thing can happen with smells. Uh, you smell something and it immediately can take you back to some event in your in your life. You know, for many people, the smell of turkey will remind them of some really nice Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner. Uh, the smell of ham will do the same thing. You know, a baking pie will remind them of, of mom or, some, or grandma or some special event. You know, all of these things are used to trigger, and they're very powerful triggers. And, when, and David is saying, you know, you've, you've restored to me, and I'm teaching them, and I'm going to sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, give me, uh, open you, my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you despise, uh, okay, open my mouth. Yeah. This is the greatest thing I've learned over the years. We open our mouth and God fills it. There have been many times when I've been a teacher or preaching or just sharing with people something. It may not even be on purpose, but I open my mouth and there have been times when I kind of step back and I'm listening to myself speak and going, it's no longer me. It's God speaking through me. And this is what David said. Open my lips. Teach me what to say. You fill my, you fill my mouth. Jeremiah complained to God saying, God, I'm so sick and tired of being thrown into prison every time I go and, go and speak. And it says, your words burned in my mouth and I couldn't help but open my, to speak. There are times when I've had that happen. I've just got to say something. Got to. And you, then you say it and you go, wow, God, that was you. It, it was definitely you speaking. And then he says, for you desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. David saying, God, if you really wanted it, I have, I have whole flocks out there. I'll give you the whole flock if that's what you want. And, and David's saying, he was ready to recognize the activity was not what God wanted. It is easy for people to just do actions. There are a lot of churches, especially like the Catholic Church. You go and confess and they say, if you do this, 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 and this, you're going to be okay. And they give you a whole bunch of activities to do, and they don't care whether you truly repent or not. Uh, I was watching an episode of MASH one time, and I liked it because Father McKay, he told the guy, he goes, what are you going to tell me to do for penance? He goes, I can't give you penance because you don't plan to, you're not wanting to repent. And I love that. I mean, it was such a spiritual point of view. I don't think it would ever be said by most Catholic priests, but it was definitely something that I understood. There is no forgiveness if we don't plan to repent and quit doing it. God is going to wait and say, no, you're not, you're not sorry yet. It's the kid being told to say, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. You know, well, what are you sorry? Well, you told me to say, I'm sorry. So I'm telling them. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm not sorry that I did it. I'm just sorry I got caught. You told me to tell I'm sorry. I'm, you know, and you can hear when the kids say, I'm sorry. No, you're not. <laughs> you just said it because I told you to say it, which is why I don't, I've never told any of my kids to say you're sorry. I go, when you mean it, you'll tell people you're sorry. And I'm not particularly impressed when kids come to me because their parents tell them to tell me they're sorry. I want it to be heartfelt because that's what God wants. 
He doesn't want us just going up, well, God, you said I had to say uh, you know, that I'm sorry and confess the sin, so here I am doing it. Because God understands the heart. He sees the heart. He knows when we are really at the point where I am sorry. God, I have sinned and I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And for sometimes that takes a long time before we finally get to the point where we are sorry and, re and truly repent. And re the word repent, we don't use it much in this, but literally means to turn away from. And in actuality, if it's for God, turn away from the sin and back toward God. And turn our back on the sin. And this is what I've shared with you. The person giving up their alcohol keeps their spare bottle of alcohol in the back cabinet just in case they need it. Okay, they truly haven't repented and they've made provision for the sin. The person who gives up pornography and has all these codes and, and websites uh, out there keeps their, codes, you know, keeps their codes for just in case so they don't have to pay for them all over again if they fall. Well, we make provisions for sin in so many ways and we have to be careful. That's not true repentance when we make provision to sin. All right? If we say, well, God, you know, I, I'm going to fall again, so I'm going to make it easy to fall. Don't do that. We may fall again, but let's not make it easy to fall that, that uh, second time. And, and God is, and David is saying, God, I've given up. I'm giving everything over to you. I repent. I'm turning away from this. And he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart true sacrifice before God is God I am broken I no longer want to do these things knowing that we may still do them but God I do not want to do these I need your strength to help me get over it, and I am completely broken hopefully you've been there at some things in your life where you're just broken and say God I need your help and without God's help we will never truly be victorious anyway we never will get a victory over a sin until God has crucified that part of our life. You know, my, one of my other favorite verses is, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live according to the faith of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20. You know, how do we get victory? God kills the sin. When he kills that sin, he kills the desire for the sin. He destroys every part of it. And he then comes in and indwells us and shows us how to live in victory. Until then, we've just kind of got sin tamed. And if you've ever tried to tame, especially a wild animal, that animal is still wild. You know, it, that animal is still wild. It may, may seem tame. But even like dogs and cats, if you get a dog or a cat at the wrong time, your, your, your pet, your loving pet, and you just do the right thing to them, they will snap and attack because that's who they are. They're an animal. And in the core, they are a wild animal, even though they're fully domesticated and can't live in the wild. At the core of their being, they defend themselves with teeth and claw. And if you do just the right thing, they will revert back to their wild animal instincts and attack. Sin is the same thing in our, in our life. It can be tamed. We can tame it short term. But when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance and says, you've had me caged long enough. I'm going to come back and you're going to, you're going to regret having me caged. <laughs> and oftentimes that's exactly what happens. Somebody who gives up alcohol without it being crucified will end up going, usually go right back to where they left off and usually deeper. 
Same thing with drugs. They'll get off their, they'll fall off the wagon, we like to call it, you know, to, to sanitize the sin, and they'll go right back to what they were doing before and or worse. It is the way sin gets. It says, you've had me caged. I'm going to come back with a vengeance. God says, I've killed that thing. You don't have to worry about it. And we get victory over it. Doesn't mean we can't fall into that sin again if we're not careful, if we make provision. But it has to start from ground zero when God's crucified it. But we want to be careful. And David's saying, God, if you really wanted these sacrifices, I'd give them to him. But what you really want is my heart. You want my very heart. Because if you're given just things to do, it was easy. The children of Israel went to the temple all the time. Here, here's, my, here's my sheep. Here's my, here's my goat. Here's my bullock. If I was a rich person, I'd just offer a goat. You know, Okay, God, don't plan to change my life, but here, here's my stuff. You asked for it. Here it is. And they would walk away from God not forgiven, not cleansed, because their heart wasn't in it, and David understood that. Just doing the steps. For us as Christians, it would be something like coming to church every Sunday, but not coming for the right reasons. Coming to Bible studies, but not coming for the right reasons. We come to church to fellowship with the body of Christ, to come into the presence of God and enjoy worship, where Jesus said, where three, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And what does Satan try to do so often to us? He tries to keep us from being prepared for church when we get there. He'll do all kinds of things. If maybe, you know, it's very common for spouses to argue on the way to church just so they will not be ready to hear. It'll be very common for children to misbehave on the way to church and get their parents in a mood not to hear from God because it is something that is so precious. When we come to church, why are we coming? Are we hearing? Coming to be spending time with God, worshiping. And we have people who sing songs to God but aren't worshiping because they're just mouthing words and they kind of like the tunes early early gun show uh, they're just mouthing the words they don't think about the words they don't they're not you know they're just words and I've got caught up in that because some of the songs I know so well I'm not really thinking about the words sometimes and we want to come to worship we want to come to be taught we want to come to fellowship with the body of Christ I love it now that in our church we're not out the door you know a half a minute after service Seven years ago, that's the way it was around here. As soon as I said amen, if I wasn't walking to the back of the, back of the door, they were out of the church before I could get back there. Uh, I love it that people stay around and talk and, and fellowship and like being with each other because that is the way it's supposed to be in the church. Uh, many of the churches I've been there, people will still be there an hour, hour and a half after church just talking and enjoying each other. And... That is the relationship we should be having as a body of Christ. We come together and we enjoy being together because God is the one that ties us together. You know, if all you're doing is coming to church, you get there late, you're not in a good mood, you're, you're just mouthing words, you're putting in your time listening to the pastor teach, and then you're getting back out the door as fast as you can when it's over, you probably wasted an hour because you have not participated in the worship of God. And this happened a lot in the Jewish temple. People would just show up. Here's my sacrifice. Uh, priest, here, you know, cut this thing up. Burn it for me. I'm okay. You know, I'm, God and I are okay for the next week because I've done, I've done my ceremony. And we as Christians do it the same thing. 
God, I, did, I put in my time. I gave you my hour coming to church. And now I can go live the way I want. And David said, God doesn't desire that. He doesn't want just activity from us. It could be a simple activity, like I talk about reading the Bible. I've talked about this. Reading the Bible is a great thing, but all, if all you're doing is reading the Bible to check off a box saying, I read my Bible, you're not getting a whole lot out of it. I've seen churches where if the pastor went to 10 after 12, a bunch of the people in the church walk out. Now, those aren't ones I stay in very long because I want, you know, even as a, as a part of the congregation, because I want people that want to love God, not bail out just because it is past a certain time that I've done my hour, you know, oh, this pastor's going crazy. He's, he's gone for 10, 15 minutes past. I've done my hour. I'm out of here. Uh, and that's not worshiping God. And that's what David is saying here. You don't, you know, God, you don't want just a sacrifice. You don't want just activities. You want our very heart and soul and who we are devoted to you. And then David said in verses 18 and 19, do good in your pleasure unto Zion, build the walls of Zion. Then shall they be pleased, shall you be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon your altar. David says, when your heart is right, God wants these things. He wants us to come to church. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to listen to teaching. He wants these things because they're good for us. But he doesn't want them instead of him being, being Lord. He doesn't want us doing things in place of a relationship with him. Uh, when we teach people how to soul win, we teach them ways to present this gospel. And that's a dangerous thing, actually. It really is. It, it gives people a way to get out and do things. But some people get so stuck on the way of doing it that they're not letting God work in them. I took one particular evangelism program and the teacher was so stuck on, if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. After two sessions, I walked out of the class. I'm going, I'm always going to let the Holy Spirit talk for me. And if, if I start with your way and then go to the Romans road or John 3:16 or whatever I do, I'm going to listen to God. Your way may have been a really good way to spread the gospel, but it's not the only way. And a matter of fact, probably not the best way. Whatever way God asked me to do is going to be the best way. I happen to love the, Ro the Roman road. All of sin, God, you know, we've paid the debt. God paid, our, paid the price, and all we have to do is call out to him. Those four verses are a beautiful way to present the gospel. It's not the only way I use. And it's not even, the, you know, it's probably the most often way I use, but it's not the only way I use. Because God is saying, I'm first. All these other things, they're good for you, and I enjoy them, and I love, love, love it when you participate in them. You know, the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, all of these things that David's talking about. God says, when it's done with the right heart, they're good. Because they're showing that I'm in the right place and that you're sacrificing unto me. But if all you're doing is coming in and doing these activities, God says, no, I don't care about those activities. God wants us more than he wants the sacrifice. He wants us more than he wants the activities. He wants us more than he wants church. As good as church is, and, I've, and I always encourage people, come to church. Because we need each other as a body of Christ. We need to be taught. Church is very important in our walk with God. But God wants us more than he wants us at church.
All right? So there's this priority that we want to look at. God wants us, but he still wants us to go to church. He still wants us to read the word of God. He still wants us to be taught. But he says, as good as those are, I want you more than those activities because we as human beings can switch the activities in place of God and do so frequently. God, look at all the activities I'm doing for you. I'm, I'm in church. Every time the doors are open, I'm in church. Can't tell you how many people over, the, over 48 years I've met that go to church every time the doors are open, but you talk to them and you don't sense any relationship with God at all. And there's one lady that I'm pretty sure she died lost who had been to church every time the doors were open for her whole life. Because when her husband was interviewing to be a deacon, we asked her and she, her answer to us about when she got to know God was, I've always been better than everybody I know. Now, I can't say absolutely she wasn't saved, but she had no concept of who she was from a biblical point of view, a sinner that needed Christ. You know, and I'm afraid that she died in her sins. Even though we even witnessed to her during that point, you know, we even asked her point blankly, when did you recognize that you were a sinner that needed a savior? And she goes, and her answer came back, I've always been better than everybody I know. So I'm really afraid that she died lost. And a lot of people are that way. They never recognize their need for God and enter into a relationship with him. And those, have, those who are there, they know that they've done it. I've recognized I needed God and I've turned my life over to him and he has changed who I am. A lot of people talk a good game. A lot of people even act a good game for a short period of time. If you get to know them for 30 or 40 years, they usually will fall multiple times in, in their acting. But to have a life changed. When you have the Holy Spirit in you and you meet somebody else with the Holy Spirit in them, there's a witness that says, this person's saved. And I've seen that happen more than once. Times when I would go to a business meeting go, and I'd go, God, I, I need to find some Christians because these, these drunkards that I'm with are not what I want to spend time with. And I'd look across the room and the spirit would just all of a sudden say, here they are. And you'd go over and you'd start talking with them. And sure enough, you'd find out this was another believer with the spirit in them. You know, the spirit will witness. And there's people that tell me they're Christians and I know they're a Christian. There's some people that tell me they're a Christian. I'm going, okay, you might be a Christian, but... I have, the Spirit hasn't connected with you at this point, and I'm not saying it, it has to for them to be a Christian. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of times you know when you talk to somebody, this person's a Christian. This person is saved. And other people, you go, okay, I'll, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not really seeing it, but you're, you're a Christian, we'll take that. And I'm not judging them. I'm not their judge. And I've told people all the time, I'm not their judge. If somebody had known me during my two years of walking away from God, and not going to church, they would have said, that, that person's not a Christian. He, you know, look, you know, he doesn't go to church. He doesn't pray. He doesn't read his Bible. He's not a Christian. I knew I was a Christian during that period of time. I was just backslidden. You know, and I'm very careful about how, you know, trying not to judge people because if it's a real event in their life, they're saved. Whether I see it or not doesn't matter. Whether anybody sees it or not doesn't matter as long as God saw it. But if God is living in you, it will change the way you live and will change your actions. He will change you. If you're not better today than you were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, pretty good sign that God's not in your, in your life. And I've, I've known some people that don't ever seem to grow. I can't say they're not a Christian, but their language is just as foul. They're, they're getting drunk every 
you know, several times a week, and they're telling you they're a Christian. It's like, do you have any conviction for your sin? Do you have any conviction about living this way? You know, if not, you're not probably not saved. Again, we're not judging. We're just calling it what God says. He convicts his children when they do wrong. And he punishes his children when they do wrong. The world, he doesn't punish the world. That's not, there will be consequences for their sins, but there's not punishment on top of that consequence for the world. God always has consequence for wrongdoing because that's the law of sowing and reaping. You sow evil, you will reap evil. You sow good, you will reap good. And that is true whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Non-Christians can, can sow good seed and get good back. That's one of the things that generates all their, their giving and everything because it feels good and there's good reward for it. And God says you're going to be blessed for it. And it's not, not just a you know, blessing from him. It's just the law that he's placed in, 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 in the world. And that's true of sinners and Christians alike, uh, or lost and Christians alike. You know, that when we sow good seed, we receive good back. When we sow evil seed, we receive evil back. But God says, I also bless my children above and beyond what we deserve from our sowing and reaping. And he says, I also discipline my children for their wrongdoings because he's a father and he's a good father and he wants us to grow and not keep making the same mistakes over. And, and you know, people go, well, blessing, you know, when you, get, when you reward good, you're, you're just paying it off. Yes, that's what God does. And all of us are motivated by that kind of blessing. When we go to work and trade 40 hours a week for a paycheck, if we didn't get the paycheck, most of us wouldn't do the work, unless we really love our work. But then that's not the normal way people are. You go to work for a company because you expect at the end of the week or two weeks in, our, in most of our jobs, that they're going to give you another piece of paper that gets turned into money. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be there doing the job. Uh, now, there are exceptions. You know, there are people that are so passionate about their work, they probably would have done it for nothing. Uh, you know, pastors are tend, to, tend to be that way, especially in small churches. They, they're just so passionate about what they do, like I am, that you, you know, what you do is not equivalent to what you get paid, <laughs> get paid to do. And... There are those exceptions, but that's done for God. You know, so we look at this and he says, once we have the right heart, God wants all the stuff that he said he didn't want just for the sake of doing it. The burnt offerings, the sacrifices, the, the, in our case, coming to church and worshiping and reading the word. All of those are good things unless we're doing it to try to please God and not for the right motivation. When our heart is... Con broken and contrite and we do these things God says there's great blessing in them you know there's just not a blessing to do them on their own all right we're going to end Lord we just thank you for this time Lord help us to learn to allow you to work in our lives and to help us and we just thank you keep us and guide us show us your love and kindness in Jesus name amen